Please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 13 through 20 today. As you guys are turning there, I do want to just kind of mention it will help a little bit. Today we're going to be focusing on this passage, which is a great passage in Hebrews, which is sometimes less known. Um, it's a passage on our eternal security and our assurance of salvation. Eternal security meaning that for those who are redeemed in Christ, their salvation cannot be lost because it is anchored in God, who he is, and what Christ has done. And because of that, we can have assurance of salvation. We can be assured that Christ has us anchored to him. And so we're going to look at these great doctrines through this passage today. But first, let's remember what we saw last week when we looked at chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 12. We saw there that the author of Hebrews rebuked his audience for their lack of maturity. And he warned them against denying their once professed faith in Jesus. At the same time, in verse 9, we see the hope that is offered, that for all of those who truly believe in Jesus, that their salvation is eternally protected from apostasy. He feels sure of their faith because he can see the change of heart that God had given them that was exemplified in the way that we love one another. Just as Christ said, they will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. And he does not intend for, therefore, this rebuke and this warning he gives in our passage last week to discourage us, but to point us toward God's redeeming grace that is already at work in our lives and that they will be, we will be forever preserved in his grace. This brings us to our passage today, to Hebrews 6, verses 13 through 20, in which the author gives us further reasons why we who believe in Jesus Christ have no fear or no need of fear for apostasy, namely that our salvation is contingent on God who keeps his promises, his perfect character which does not change, and Jesus himself who has our salvation anchored in heaven with him. This is the hope that God's word gives us today. So as we read our passage and contemplate it this morning, let's remember these three, that our salvation is anchored in the covenant promise of God who is perfectly trustworthy and does not change, and that our salvation is anchored to Jesus forever in heaven. This is God's holy word given to us. Let's give it our full attention. Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul 
a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for the comfort of your word. Speak to us. Renew within us that hope of eternal salvation, the assurance that we have in Jesus, that our salvation is secure, anchored to him in the Holy of Holies in glory. And so nothing of this world within us or outside of us can take it away from us because you are greater than all. Lord, be now with your servant, me as I preach your word. Lord, simply speak. Put me aside. Lord, if there's anything I say not in accordance with your will, cause it to slip away. But Lord, what is in accordance with your word? Lord, may it grant joy and thankfulness in the hearts of me and your people this morning that we may give glory to you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. From 1999 to 2001, I was blessed to serve as a full-time minister, as a collegiate minister for the navigators at Cal Poly State University in beautiful San Luis Obispo, California, where there's an average annual temperature between 58 and 80 degrees, 15 minutes from the ocean, 287 sunny days per year. It was really tough, but... Uh, God calls, so who was I to say no? And then I was blessed to church plant in State College, Pennsylvania, where for several years I was the collegiate ministry director at Penn State University for the church that I planted. And one of the joys of ministry is being able to work with young people, the future leaders and the current leaders of God's kingdom at that time, um, not that it was relegated just to college students, but I think you get my point. It was a blessed time of ministry. In all of my years of ministering to college students, I learned that one of their most common struggles was struggling with an assurance of their own salvation. It commonly surfaced when they would come to me after a weekend of drinking too much, of sleeping with someone, or of partaking of an illegal substance that got them into trouble. Sometimes it surfaced when they felt like they weren't praying enough or they weren't reading the Bible enough, when they were struggling with pornography or when they were in conflict with someone else that was close to them. In short, their assurance of salvation was rising and it was falling based on their performance or the performance of others. But guess what? After 20 years of serving in pastoral ministry, I am convinced that the struggle with maintaining an assurance of salvation is common to most Christians, to both men and women, the young and the elderly, the immature and the mature. And yes, those sitting in the pews and even those preaching in the pulpit Speaking from my own struggle with assurance of salvation, it typically surfaces when my eyes are focused on my own failures. My failures as a husband, 
my failures as a father, my failures as a son, my failures as a pastor, and my failures as a friend. And they are many. And it's all the same dilemma. An assurance of salvation that rises and falls according to my own performance. And I suspect that most of you in this room understand exactly what I mean. Because you feel the same struggle. A lack of assurance of salvation because you're focused on your performance. When you feel like you've fallen short of God's glory. And if that is you this morning, and even if it isn't, because this day may come, Lord, I I pray to the Lord that our passage today would bring you great comfort. A reminder that your salvation is not contingent on your performance, but it's contingent upon God's covenant promises to you and to me. That our assurance is based upon his perfect character, which does not change. And our assurance is based in Jesus, who has our salvation anchored in heaven. These three combined provide the proof that our salvation cannot be lost. And they provide a basis for our assurance of salvation. So again, these are the three things we're going to look at today. God's covenant promises, God's perfect and unchanging character, And third, Jesus, who has our salvation anchored in heaven. These are the foundation of our eternal security and assurance of salvation. So let's turn to our text. Let's notice first God's covenant promise that we see in verses 13 through 15. For when God made a promise to Abraham... Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having waited patiently, obtained the promise. In these words, the author of Hebrews is quoting Genesis chapter 22, verses 16 and 17. Those verses read, by myself, says God, by myself I have sworn. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring. So this is, the author of Hebrews is referencing the end of that story in Genesis 22 in which God commands Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac to him on an altar. Now let us just pause for a moment and think about this event, to think about how it is linked to our eternal security and our assurance of salvation. This is not the first time that we have heard God promise to Abraham that his offspring would be multiplied. That's an important word, not added, but multiplied. We see that God promised it earlier in Genesis 15:5 when he took Abraham out at night and asked him to look up into the sky and he said these words he said look to heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them implying that there's too many for him to do so so shall your offspring be and Abraham 
believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And God builds on this promise in Genesis 17:4. Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. But here's the rub. Then we come to Genesis 22. The promise, again, was given to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations and his descendants would be multiplied when he was 99 years old and his wife Sarah was 90. Now, of course, if, if you haven't figured it out, 90-year-old ladies cannot bear children. But what is impossible for man is not impossible for God. So a year later, Sarah miraculously gave birth to Isaac. He gave birth to Isaac. And this was the only son that Abraham and Sarah would have together. The only son by which it could become true that his descendants would be multiplied and that he could become the father of many nations. But yet, in Genesis 22, God calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac to him on the altar. How can this be? Wouldn't doing so negate God's promise that his descendants would be multiplied and that he would be the father of many nations through Sarah? And yet regardless, because of his faith, Abraham moves towards doing what God commands. He takes Isaac to the top of a mountain in Moriah, builds an altar. I mean, could you imagine that? Not just taking him up there, but actually building the altar and then placing Isaac upon it. And in those last moments, he is raising a knife to sacrifice his son to the Lord. And in that last moment, God calls out, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then God provides a substitute sacrifice, a ram caught in the bushes to place on the altar. A great foreshadowing of Christ, the Lamb of God who would take our place just as that ram took Isaac's place. And it's all because of faith. It's because of faith that Abraham had righteousness credited to him. And so God provides a substitute sacrifice, a ram to replace Isaac. And after doing so, the angel of the Lord calls to Abraham from heaven, saying, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. Now that's a lot of backstory, but it helps us understand what the author of Hebrews is trying to say. What's the point that he is trying to make by referencing Genesis 22? It's this. He wants us to see Abraham as an example that our eternal security and our assurance of salvation is not based upon our sacrifices that we make. It's not based on our performance. 
but that our eternal security and our assurance of salvation is based upon God's promises, which we see here in our text that he confirms by an oath, by an oath according to his own character. We see it in 16. This is us. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly, okay, this is the purpose. It's not because God's character is lacking, but to give it more oomph, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. He guaranteed it with an oath according to himself. God's promise to you of your salvation being secure is based on his character. And so this begs the question, what do we know about God's character? This is important because if God is like us, all of us who have been guilty at some time or another of breaking our promises that we have sworn to keep, then how can we ever have eternal security and assurance of his deliverance? Said in another way, eternal security and assurance of salvation is only possible if God's character is perfect and unchanging. And indeed, this is what we see in verses 17 and 18 in our text. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things, being his promise and his oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. We don't run to our performance for eternal security, for assurance of salvation. We run to the refuge of God, his perfect and unchanging character, who has promised that we are his people, he is our God, and that will not change. That's the promise of the covenant of grace that we've been talking about this morning. And notice that God does not lie, not only does not lie, but notice that it's impossible for him to lie, which means that nothing can stop his promises from coming to fruition. Therefore, friends, if you have been granted salvation for the Lord, no matter how hard you try to rebel, no matter how hard you try to rebel and go your own way, you could never go far enough from God to make him renege on his promise to complete the work of salvation that he began in you. You could never go far enough to renege that promise. And so we need to ask ourselves this morning, do we rest our eternal security and our assurance of salvation on our performance or upon God's promise and his perfect, unchanging character? If it is our performance, then we will never have assurance because we will never make it through a single day of our lives without falling short of the glory of God in thought, word, and deed because we are sinners. Just as the 82nd question of our shorter catechism, catechism says in asking this question, is any man able perfectly 
to keep the commandments of God? The answer is this. No mere man since the fall is able in this life perfectly to keep the commandments of God, but doth daily break them in thought, word, and deed. This is what we do every day. In thought, word, and deed, we rebel against God. And Satan wants to shame us and guilt us. Our sinful hearts want to shame us and guilt us and keep us under that weight. But friends, here is the good news. In Christ, you are truly free. You are truly free. So friends, you are free to let go of that lie. That lie that your salvation is contingent upon your performance. How well you submit to God's will. So friends, rest instead in the love and the grace of your heavenly father. Rest in his promises to you. In his perfect character who does not change because he promises to complete the work of salvation in you. Will you make it to heaven? If you believe in Jesus, he has promised that you will, and he has sworn it by an oath upon his perfect, unchanging character, and so it can never fail. Now, we could end here this morning, and we could have more than enough to go home assured of our salvation and of our eternal security, that our salvation cannot be lost. But let's explore one more reason for both. That our salvation is anchored to Jesus in heaven. This is our third and final point this morning. We see it in verses 19 and 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The metaphor of an anchor is a powerful one. Donald Guthrie, in his commentary on these verses, says this. He says, the job of an anchor is to remain fixed in the seabed, whatever condition there is at sea. Indeed, the rougher the weather, the more important it is the anchor for the stability and the safety of the boat. Jesus is the anchor of your salvation, friends. He is the anchor of your salvation. He is now and forevermore seated in heaven. He's passed through the curtain into the Holy of Holies, into the heavenly Holy of Holies, and he is seated at the right hand of God, and your salvation is anchored there. So there is nothing in this world that can go there and take it away from you. So no matter how rough the seas of this life get, you can be assured that Jesus holds you safe because nothing in all of creation again can reach Jesus and snatch your salvation out of his hand. You are anchored to him. One group of commentators has said it this way. Our hope is secure as an anchor of the soul 
that Jesus took with him into the most holy place when he returned to the Father's presence. He went to heaven as a forerunner on our behalf. Therefore, we will surely follow him there. He has gone as a forerunner, and he has anchored our salvation to himself. And so we will surely go there. So brothers and sisters, Jesus has your salvation anchored in heaven with him. So you do not need to doubt your salvation when people sin against you and when you sin against them because God still loves you then. You don't need to doubt your salvation when you're struggling to find time to pray and to be in the word because God, he still loves you even then. You don't need to doubt your salvation when you stumble and you look at porn again because God loves you still even then. You don't need to doubt your salvation when you're overwhelmed by stress or anxiety or the trials of this life because God loves you even then. You don't need to doubt your salvation when tragedy strikes unexpectedly and life gets hard beyond what you feel like you can handle. God doesn't hate you in that moment. He loves you still even then. You don't need to doubt your salvation when you blow up again at your spouse or your kids because God loves you even then. You don't need to doubt your salvation when you feel like you can't do God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will because he still loves you even then. And you don't need to doubt your salvation when you're angry with God because he loves you even then. And I could go on and on, fill in the blank with any reason for your doubt. Know this, that God knows your weakness. He already knows all the times that you will fall short for his glory today and every day until you go to be with him in his presence. And yet, because he loves you unconditionally, none of that matters. Because he has anchored your salvation to him apart from your performance and without consideration of it. He has anchored your salvation in heaven. So the next time you fall short, don't despair, but rest upon the grace of your heavenly Father who has promised upon, again, his perfect, unchanging character that you are forever his and he is forever yours. Therefore, I leave you today with a promise from Jesus given to you in John 14, 1 through 3. I pray that it would be a source of, eternal, of your eternal security and assurance of salvation this coming week. Jesus said, let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. And I go there to prepare a place for you. He's gone there to prepare a place for me. And if I go, Jesus says, and prepare a place for you, I will come to you again. And I will take you to myself. Why? So that where he is for eternity, we may also be. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the anchor that we have in your son, Jesus Christ, 
the anchor that we have in your precious promises that will not fail because you are the God of perfect, unchanging character of goodness. You are righteous and you are holy. We are not consumed, as you tell us through the prophet, because you do not change. And so, Lord, in those times when we change in the sense that we fall again into disobedience, that we forget our redemption in you. Lord, that you would remind us and restore us in this hope and in this promise. Lord, that your love is unconditional and it will not fail and that our salvation is secure in you forever. Use it to comfort us and to give us an assurance of our salvation this week, especially when we fall short. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon was recorded at Living Hope Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more sermons and resources, visit livinghopeth.com.